You know, every day I wake up, I, I, I'm excited because I know that I'm writing a new chapter on my life's journey. And I truly believe that my best work is in front of me. I'm driven by this, this passion to, to make a difference in the world. And, uh, and, and I, I believe it's my responsibility to try to do my part to leave this world just a little better than when I've come. In 1980, Canadian athlete Terry Fox, who had lost a leg to cancer, undertook the Marathon of Hope, and it took him from St. John's, Newfoundland to Thunder Bay, Ontario, running on one leg before a recurrence of his cancer forced him to stop. But inspired by Terry's courage, another Canadian in the same province, British Columbia, decided to undertake his own quest and one of magnificent proportions. He wanted to raise awareness and to inspire a more accessible world. And his adventure? was to circle the world in a wheelchair. His name's Rick Hansen. He's one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. Arguably one of the best athletes Canada's ever produced and one of the best activists. In my excitement, passion to make a difference and and to achieve a vision uh, that I started on over 30 years ago, I'm sometimes frustrated. I want the pace of change to be faster, but I feel more than anything uh, grateful. I'm... uh, I'm one of the luckiest Canadians uh, alive, and uh, it's a great country. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. Welcome to Chatter That Matters, presented through the generosity of RBC. On my radio show, I chat with ordinary people who do extraordinary things, despite life circumstances. Some you'll know as their accomplishments have earned world-renowned recognition, why others are stories that deserve to be shared. The show isn't about RBC or me, it's about positivity and possibilities, uncovering life lessons that we can all apply to inspire us to do more, to help us get to where we need, deserve, and want to go. Rick Hansen, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Hey, thanks, Tony. It's great to be able to chat to you. So your Man in Motion tour, I would argue, is an achievement in athleticism and fortitude that rivals anything we've done as humans. I'm talking about breaking the four minute mile, scaling mountains we once thought were insurmountable. Share with listeners what you accomplished on that 26 month track. Well, you know, I I wanted to be able to make a difference. I'd I'd gone through so much having had my injury and being a a representative of Canada on uh, the national team in wheelchair marathoning. I decided that what I would do is take a period of time and volunteer and, and literally try to make a difference by creating awareness of the potential of people with disabilities if barriers were removed, and maybe one day help find a cure for spinal cord injury. Take a task that seemed to be impossible, like wheeling around the world when people in wheelchairs were perhaps uh, not even uh, recognized as being able to wheel across the street at that day and age, and demonstrate what was possible if someone set their mind to it. And the 34 countries, four continents, 40,000 kilometers, uh, you know, just being able to circumnavigate the world uh, in a wheelchair uh, was uh, was the dream. That was before internet, before GPS, and ultimately uh, it was a large and challenging and inaccessible world, and we just had the courage to try. So you describe it, but just for the listeners, this is not a perfectly paved speedway. I mean, you climbed the Swiss Alps and so much more. There must have been so many times when you wanted to quit mentally and physically. What keeps you going? Well, the first thing is you have to have the dream and the purpose. Uh, without that, you have nothing. There's so many challenges along the way, Tony. I mean, everything from the organizational framework to be able to get people to believe in it and come and support it. I mean, there were many times, even before 
the first stroke on that first day, we thought about quitting because we were listening to self-doubt, skepticism, and, you know, the idea of having to have it perfect before we started. And then eventually we just realized that we had to draw a line in the sand and just leave. And even though we weren't perfectly prepared, uh, we uh, we took that first stroke on March the 21st of 1985, and that was the beginning of 17 million strokes, one stroke at a time, one day at a time. There were so many other times when you wanted to quit because the dream and the reality were so big. You know, the gap between the two was so big, and uh, you know, it was filled with frustration, perhaps anger, fatigue, and just started to lose hope. Hope is the most powerful ingredient once you have a purpose and inspiration. Fortunately, during those periods of time, I had my team to draw down on, you know, to lean on, to get supported by. And my physiotherapist at the time, Amanda, was the greatest team member. And she more than once made me see perspective and believe in her and regain my hope and continue to have faith that just around the corner, something good would happen to make the tour the success that I'd always dreamed it would be. Thank God for her and thank God for my team. And Amanda became much more than your therapist, didn't she? That's right, yes. Uh, she was there on the tour and we uh, developed a very close relationship and eventually we're engaged and uh, married. And we have uh, three daughters, Emma, Alana, and Rebecca, three grandsons. And uh, it, it was the greatest decision I ever made, the biggest risk of bringing someone who I had uh, tremendous affection for out on the road in a pressure cooker environment to not only do our work as colleagues and team members, but to try to forge a fledgling relationship. But somehow we survived. And ultimately, uh, here we are all these years later. You know, a lot of people, when they're chasing love, feel that they, they might not be good enough or they might not have enough to offer. Did you ever feel that way, given that you were in a wheelchair? Yeah, there's no question. When I was first injured, uh, you know, you think about a young kid, 15 years of age, uh, from uh, kind of a small town Canada, you know, not really having any view of what it was like to have a disability. And I, I sort of had and inherited all the typical stereotypes and stigma of having a disability that if you did have one, thank God it wasn't me. And secondly, life would be pretty much over and it'd be a lot to pity. So I had to, I had to struggle with that burden uh, when I had my injury. I really felt sorry for myself. I really was not seeing a lot of possibility you know, until I actually met role models and uh, people who had been there before me that made me realize that, hey, uh, life is about not what happens to you, what you do with it that counts. Attitude is everything. And instead of focusing on what you can't do, focus on what you can do. And Stan Strong was my greatest role model. This guy uh, was a peer counselor. He's the guy that was the team manager of the wheelchair basketball team that I ended up playing on. Every time I saw him, he exuded pure joy and love. He had a higher level of disability than me, and he chose to focus on life, love, the ability to have meaning and purpose, and ultimately to continue to feel each day with the sense of uh, what was possible. He also encouraged me to recruit people in our wheelchair basketball team. I ended up recruiting Terry Fox to come and play for our team when he was uh, struggling after he had his uh, loss of his leg from cancer. David Foster, another credible Canadian, was so inspired by your story, he, he shared it with John Parr, who was, had been hired to write a song, uh, and he wrote this song called St. Elmo's Fire, which became the number one song in the United States and one of the top songs around the world. But the song wasn't about a movie, it was really inspired by your story. 
how did you feel when you heard that song? And did that song help you get that extra kilometer each day? We had a fundraiser just a few months before we left on the tour. And a fellow named Terry David Mulligan was there. And uh, Terry is a Canadian actor. Uh, you know, he's a radio host. And he came up to us and he said, God, I love what you're doing. Uh, you know, this is going to be a great success. Have you ever thought about a theme song? And we said, yeah, we'd love to get one. And he said, why don't you contact David Foster? And we said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And so he said, send me one of your promotional videos that you shared. I'll send it to him. Next thing you know, we were heading down the west coast of the United States, and we heard uh, from David Foster. He said, Rick, I'm working on a song. I can't wait to share it with you. And it wasn't uh, more than a couple months later, we heard the song, St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion. David had said is that we really didn't like the movie and we couldn't get inspired, me and John Parr. We took a break and we put that video that Terry David Mulligan sent and uh, we watched it and within 20 minutes the lyrics all flowed out and by the end of the night the song was done and uh, and the rest was history and they added in the reference to St. Elmo's Fire as the celestial body that you know, that sailors look up to during turbulent times when they're lost looking for a safe harbor. And that obviously is a metaphor for my life as well. And so my St. Elmo's fire has always been there and I feel so grateful. All right, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. Today I'm chatting with Rick Hansen, one of Canada's greatest athletes and activists. We come back. I'm going to talk to Rick about his life before the accident. Every time we reach an obstacle, we believe with all our heart, somehow, some way, there's a way over it, under it, around it, or through it. That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. Uh, text me at any time at 71010. I'm chatting with Rick Hansen, one of Canada's greatest athletes and activists. Rick, I want to go back before your accident. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I was born in Port Alberni, British Columbia, on Vancouver Island. And my uh, father worked for BC Telephone, uh, was the predecessor to TELUS. He transferred to a number of communities throughout BC, you know, the Peace River Country in Fort St. John, Abbotsford in the Fraser Valley, and eventually uh, settled in Williams Lake, where I graduated from high school. And it was uh, wonderful to be able to actually travel throughout the province and meet so many people. Yeah, I, I found that it really filled me with a sense of adventure. I love the outdoors. I love to be able to go out on uh, camping, fishing, and love sports. Sports was uh, was everything to me. And Anything with a ball, I was I was engaged in, and and then uh, one day had crazy dreams that maybe I'd be able to represent my country at the Olympic Games. And you were gifted enough to do that. I mean, that wasn't just a dream. But what I understand, and going back and researching a little bit, is you are an extraordinary athlete. But on June twenty seventh, nineteen seventy three, everything changes when you're riding in the back of a pickup truck with a friend. The driver loses control. Take us back to that moment and what happened. Yeah, at the end of grade 10, we'd had this magnificent adventure that we'd been planning for about four months, which was to 
go off uh, from Williams Lake, our hometown west, uh, probably about an eight-hour journey to be able to drive to the west coast of BC in a small little place called Bellacoola to go uh, salmon fishing. And at the end of it, we decided to hitchhike home halfway from the you know Bellacoola to our hometown and get back in time for the Williams Lake Stampede. And as 15-year-olds, we uh, we thought that was going to be another great reason to get home. Uh, rather than wait an extra day for our other friend's dad to drive us, we, we decided to hitchhike the day before. As fate would have it, the guy who stopped and uh, picked me up, he'd been the guy that we'd actually uh, helped uh, change his tire uh, in the middle of the night down in the Bellacoola Valley. He and his girlfriend uh, were driving like a 57 Chev, fully loaded. He was going to go right by us uh, when we had our thumb out, but he recognized us, and so he slammed the brakes on and said, hey, you guys can't believe it. You, you help me, I can help you get in. Uh, I'll take you take you to Williams Lake. So we jumped in the back. And just to make fate a little bit more uh, interesting, my uh, my friend Don Alder, uh, he asked me if I could switch sides. He didn't like the side that he was given. He wanted to have a little sleep. So I decided, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll switch sides. My fate was then sealed because uh, four hours later, you know, on a rough washboard turn, he uh, went around the corner and lost control of the truck and it rolled through my friend on clear as it rolled and pitched him forward. And I was on the inside of the roll and it threw me to the ground against with a whole ton of stuff, uh, you know, from the truck on top of me and broke my back and uh, my legs wouldn't work. And I was pinned up against a steel toolbox for a couple of hours uh, waiting for an ambulance to uh, arrive. And yeah, my legs didn't work. Uh, they were numb and when I touched them, they just wiggle like jelly. And you can imagine the pain uh, and suffering and uh, mostly fear uh, of, uh, of a 15-year-old uh, during uh, those long moments wondering what the heck had happened. That must have been the two longest hours of your life waiting for that ambulance. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was brutal for sure. They took me to this little, uh, in a little hospital in Williams Lake and my parents arrived and doctor came back after they x-rayed me and doctor said, uh, yeah, back's broken, spinal cord's been damaged. And uh, I'll never walk again. In 2010, in an interview with Sarah Hampson of the Globe and Mail, you said, I've never seen the driver since the day of the accident. Is that still the case? Yeah, it's true. I, you know, I, for, I don't know, whatever reason, I just haven't, uh, haven't run into him. I wish I could, uh, because in reality, you know, it's been almost 50 years since that fateful day. And at that time, uh, obviously, uh, I would <laughs> didn't exactly say some nice things uh, to him as I was dealing with that prognosis in reality. But uh, thinking back on it, you know, I would probably uh, want to make sure that uh, he didn't feel any burden because uh, as it's turned out, it was one of the luckiest things that ever happened to me and uh, helped change my life in a dramatic way. And I wouldn't trade it for the use of my legs. And I I just hope that he doesn't feel any sense of guilt or responsibility. And perhaps he could, uh, in many ways, uh, you know, think, oh, my God, you know, like, uh, you know, crazy way this uh, turned out to be uh, something quite extraordinary for this young man. You know, everybody I talk to that has had experiences like yours that have done something extraordinary with it, I've got so much forgiveness in them, which I, I, I admire. But, you know, you talk about what you would have said then versus now. You're waking up in recovery, you're a 15-year-old, gifted athlete. Every moment, every dream must have been thinking about, would you walk again? When did that change for you that you realized this was the cards I was dealt with? And how did you, I guess the the analogy, how did you play them so that you could turn this into a life of purpose versus anger? 
first of all, I could not believe I was in denial. I can't believe that, you know, you'd have an injury and you wouldn't heal from it. Like I had no idea what is the spinal cord. I don't think I'd gotten that far in my biology lessons. And so, yeah, it just didn't compute. I, I, I spent every moment, every waking moment working uh, on and visualizing uh, with the positive attitude. And I didn't really believe the doctors. Uh, you know, I, I was going to prove them wrong. And uh, it was months, months and months and months uh, just looking at my toes, straining and thinking and willing my legs to work and hoping that one day I would uh, get some clue, one signal, just one signal. And it didn't happen. Resignation, I guess, uh, wasn't like some moment. But in reality, after probably about between eight months and a year, uh, I I started to recognize that that that's just the way it was going to be. And at that point, it was about taking a dark canvas of despair with a lack of awareness or knowledge about what life could be like and try to fill it with borders of color, texture, and possibility. And then to start to paint my own story, uh, you know, one day at a time. And it wasn't an easy process. There's no question. It was like hard days, hard struggle days. But family, friends, some of my my old teammates, and you know my coach Bob Redford, uh, who was my my uh, my volleyball coach, and he was uh, you know an incredible influence on me, and kept encouraging me to think about what I would like to do when I got out of high school. And he made me realize that nowhere in the definition of an athlete does it say you have to use your legs in order to be one. And introduced me to Paralympic sport, which led me to Stan Strong, which led me to Terry Fox. Uh, Bob Redford also encouraged me to fulfill my original dream of being a phys ed teacher and apply to University of British Columbia and uh, enroll in the School of Physical Education. And and Bob uh, also inspired and encouraged me when I got the letter back saying that they wouldn't admit me that I should take first year arts and science and maybe talk and perhaps next year. I, I saw that as a rejection and I decided to, you know, I wasn't going to go to UBC, but Bob said, hey, you know, look at it as an opportunity. This is a challenge. They haven't ever done this before. You'll be the first person. You'll be breaking precedent. So come in and show them that that you're the right person. You know, in terms of athleticism, I mean, when you look at your three goals, two silvers and a bronze in the 1980-1984 Summer Games, obviously the Man in Motion Tour, you're more accomplished than most, if not all. But I imagine that people first look at you as that, you know, prisoner in that chair versus this sort of conqueror of almost anything you set out to do. How could we change that bias in humans so that we look beyond the physicality and focus much more on what's beating inside that heart? The reality is we we, we just need to be connected to humans. <laughs> I mean, once, once we're connected to people, uh, no matter what their difference is, whether it's uh, racial, gender, whether it's physical, depending on you know, different social, economic, or cultural backgrounds, the art of being human in today's world is to get rid of our fear, our deep-seated innate fear of the unknown, and really get to the heart of the matter, uh, you know, meet people and, uh, and realize that at the end of the day, most, most people are just that, they're people, and most people are good. There's incredible richness in being able to get to know a human in spite of the difference. And so I, I do it every single day because even though I've traveled the world and I've met people from all walks of life, I'm always running into unique people and I'm constantly uh, you know, challenging myself to stay open and, uh, and, and really connect. Text me at any time at 71010. Chatting with Rick Hansen, one of the most extraordinary and accomplished citizens on planet Earth. 
and I'm so proud to say he's Canadian. When we come back, we chat about how Rick channels his determination for the benefit of others. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman will return in a moment on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. A focus on accessibility is a core commitment for RBC. Take, for example, their employee resource group, REACH, which provides education and engagement for employees with disability and allies, or centralized resource to support employees with their unique accommodation needs, all working to ensure a positive, integrated workplace experience. Diversity and inclusion matter to RBC. Each week, you can download the latest episode of Chatter That Matters as a podcast from your iHeartRadio Canada app. Now more with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My vision has uh, evolved over the years. You know, it's not, not just specifically to find a cure for paralysis or make the world accessible for people with disabilities. Uh, it's also to help create a healthy and inclusive world. And we're all connected and we need a healthy planet, an inclusive society and, and healthy people. And I believe everyone has the opportunity to step up and do their part. His name's Rick Hansen. He's one of the most extraordinary people I've ever met. Arguably one of the best athletes Canada's ever produced and one of the best activists. The show that's going to follow you is with Chris Hadfield, and he has such similar sentiments to you that just believe in, in the human and humanity. So I want to go back to 29, I think, if my math is right, you returned from your Man in Motion tour. In those 14 years since your accident, you got a knapsack. It's full of pain, reinvention, rehabilitation, gold medals. You take this Man in Motion world tour. That's a big vacuum to fill. What happens next? Like, what do you do to kind of say... Each day, there's going to be a new chapter to be written. What's the next chapters for you after that? For me, I, I'd had this goal before the tour. You know, I was uh, spending almost four years of my life as a volunteer in planning, execution, and wind down to to do something to make the world better. But I believe that what I was going to do is transition out of that world tour and get back to my athletic career to re uh, regain my my world title or my uh, Paralympic gold status uh, in the marathon. That was uh, clearly what I said I would do, and I, I started to do that. Uh, Amanda and I were married in the fall, and we started our journey. And I realized uh, quite quickly that uh, I was not in anywhere near ready to be able to get back to that world-class status uh, as, a, as a Paralympian. The biggest part of it is, uh, is that my motivation just uh, wasn't there. I was, I was in this kind of like uh, semi-depression because... I hadn't realized, you know, everything had been so busy one day at a time, you know, uh, just one stroke at a time trying to finish the journey. But unbeknownst to my level of awareness at the time, you know, is that my whole, I mean, over two years immersed into something, such a, a powerful experience that I had changed dramatically in that period. And living an old goal that I'd set two years earlier that no longer seemed to have the the, the weight and the integrity was just making me vibrate and uh, making me confused. And ultimately, uh, here I was coming from this place of being a world champion and a gold medalist and having been able to wheel around the world and now I could barely finish a workout. I was I was in the dumps. I was talking to Amanda about it and, uh, you know, and she said, you know, Rick, maybe it's just not the right thing for you anymore. And I went, oh my gosh, you know, it's like the thought of, you know, being in the prime of my athletic career and life and and then, and be retiring. It just... Uh, it was a bit of a big issue to try to reconcile. And then I realized that, yeah, 
what I needed to do is I needed to continue to move this journey forward in some way, not through my foundation at the time, but just continue to do my part. I, re- I rejoined my alma mater at UBC and for uh, over 15 years led uh, you know uh, uh, the, the challenge to continue to make the world accessible, help support research for uh, finding a cure for paralysis. And then eventually was asked to join my foundation as CEO and and uh, and help take it to the next level as well. And so it's been, who would have thought back then on the tour that it, it wasn't just a journey around the world. It was going to become a, a lifelong journey uh, pursuing those two big dreams and, uh, and then more. Rick, there's a lot of people listening now that also are in a vacuum. They're not feeling like they're standing on, there's almost standing on shifting sand. There's a lot of insecurity, uncertainty, and so much negativity. You talk a lot about the mentors in your life, Amanda, people helping be there, sort of those Yodas. What advice can you give to listeners that they can open their mind to having other people come in and kind of help them and maybe nudge them on a different path or try something different so that they can kind of, instead of feeling like they're running in cement, they start feeling that, you know, there's rungs in the ladder to grab onto again. Yeah, it's the balance eh, between accepting uh, some of the realities of uh, the changes and the traumas that we've experienced. I mean, this COVID era is uh, a classic uh, big trauma that sweep throughout the globe in different ways, depending on which way you view it. But it's a disruptor something that we didn't maybe see coming. We didn't wish on anyone. There's been uh, deep loss. There's been big change. There's been, you know, hard, uh, hard struggles and great opportunities all in that one scenario. And, and so what I would uh, just encourage people is to recognize that it's wherever you are, it's, it's, it's okay because uh, there's no playbook for it. You know, every individual has their own journey and their own perspective. You know, that sense of hope, you know, that it will get better. This too will pass. Secondly, we're not alone. Uh, we, uh, we all have someone uh, that we can reach out to and, uh, and lean on and or be there for the, someone else. It's amazing to know how much uh, purpose and, uh, and energy it gives us when we're there for others. It's not a burden. It's a real contribution and uh, positive impact. And, and then I guess it's being able to not have it all perfect. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is, is that What's the worst thing that can happen by trying, uh, you know, and, and giving it your best and have every day a learning opportunity. Um, and if you move down a path and it doesn't work out, the process will have helped change you, uh, you know, and you can actually extract those lessons, those contacts, the, you know, the perspective to retool and, and to keep going. Some people often ask me, uh, you know, what's the biggest predeterminant to the success I had on, uh, say, on the tour or some other things in my life? And I, I think the reality is, is that if you have a, a, a dream and, and if you can be clear on, on what that is, and then you're prepared to, uh, to jump in, all in, and just put your head down and go and see how far you can go. There's been many times in my life I've failed and, uh, and it's not worked out, but that's part of the process. It's okay. And, and it's becoming comfortable with that and not always thinking that things have to be rosy and hit home runs, uh, you know, the first few days out the door. There's a lot happening. People are challenged like never before, and and it, it can be good. It can be better on the other side. Rick, I, when I heard the statistic of one in seven, which might go to one in five, have some form of disability, that's a big number. What do we need to do to have society embrace it? And as you say, as a possibilities and opportunity versus sort of uh, something that should be done. 
Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to recognize that having uh, a disability is uh, is a big deal in the uh, you know in the social, cultural, and economic reality globally. There's 1.3 billion people living with a disability. Uh, you know, again, what that means is we also have aging baby boomers who are you know getting older and and having many disabling conditions. You know, whether they're visual, hearing, mobility, cognitive, and and these challenges, including mental health, are fundamental and. And I think they're, they're in many ways relatively normal. When you have that sense that this is important and it needs to be normalized, uh, then we have to recognize, well, why is it that disability doesn't seem to have the, uh, the recognition or the, the weight relative to the size of the population? And it's largely because it's, fra- it's fragmented depending on body type. You know, we, we tend to also have symbols of accessibility, which is essentially the result of removing barriers for people with disabilities as being the stick man in a wheelchair. Well, you know, I mean, people in wheelchairs have, have a significant percentage, uh, but it's not the complete view. What we really need are symbols of humans in motion uh, being included in society with no uh, unnatural barriers. Uh, that's the that's the Canada we want. And if you don't address this, if you're a business leader, if you're a government, uh, you know, representative, if you don't address this, you're you're not serving your country. You're not serving the world because it's such a powerful force. The consequences of not removing barriers in your organization or in your world or not thinking about opportunities to hire people, customers to serve, products to innovate, to help people be more mobile and included – this is a tremendous possibility, and uh, we have to be able to liberate people's ability not just to participate, but to truly contribute to the richness of their diversity and their perspective, uh, the contributions they can make to uh, this uh, continually growing and dynamic society. And I, I just think it's, uh, it, it's time we, we tackle these big barriers And one of the biggest barriers of all, still to this day, is the built environment, you know, the places and spaces that we live, work, play, and learn. It's Tony Chapman. You're listening to some incredible words, life lessons from uh, Rick Hansen. Text me at any time at 71010. If you want more of my content, chatterthatmatters.ca. When we come back, talk about an upcoming conference, the Accessibility Professional Network Conference. We'll be right back. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. You know, if we moved it from a charitable conversation, you know, uh, to an imperative that this this isn't negotiable. You know, we're not we're not you know saying, well, you're just lucky to get in the building, Mr. X or Mrs. Y. Um, no, you're a Canadian. You get in the building. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. One of the most extraordinary Canadians in any way you want to measure. Life lessons, activist for accessibility, leaving no Canadian behind, a world-class athlete, and sharing some incredible thoughts with us today. That's Rick Hansen. So you're putting on a conference March 11th and 12th. Uh, it's hashtag APN. 2021. Who's invited? And as people walk away from their conference, what are you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, what we decided to do is take the knowledge that exists inside the uh, advocates for people with disabilities on accessibility in the built environment, and we've decided to create a a real incredible progressive standard uh, with a curriculum and uh, then train 
people in continuing education so that the design community has a chance to be able to learn and be accredited so they can actually understand and be proficient at looking at designs and buildings and determine whether they're, uh, and make them actually universally inclusive for everyone. This Accessibility Professional Network Conference is essentially a, a convening place for um, business uh, leaders, professions in the construction and design community, venue operators, people uh, who are advocates for accessibility uh, in the built environment, and consumers and family members and others who have come together who are really interested in this topic. And, and we're inviting people from around the world, getting the dialogue uh, unfolding and start to advance the idea from conversation to working up scale on this to normalize this so that actually every, every time a building's built, it's built to ensure that everyone can be included. What are the barriers that still exist and how do we continue to streamline that? That's the, that's the goal. And the only way you do that is by assembling some world-class people to create good insight, perspective, uh, thought leadership, and then synergy on the back end so we can create a movement. So Rick, I got a final question and it's something that's, I mean, asking myself since I began this journey, do you think that people that have a near death experience or a life shattering experience value their life more? Because when I listen to you, it's like every second counts, every day matters. And yet a People that haven't had it don't seem to have that same appetite. It's almost like they're, they're treating life as a dress rehearsal. Is that, in some ways, the card you were dealt at age 15 has truly become a lifetime gift for you? Yeah, I, I think there's no question that that defining period uh, really, really helped sharpen my focus, uh, helped me understand what was important. You know, you don't usually ask those questions when you're, when you're 15 or 16. Uh, I had to ask them in order to survive through that gauntlet. Before that, I, I kind of, I was pretty optimistic. You know, I was uh, involved in a lot of things. When things got tough, kind of like to shy away from it. And I could, uh, I could recreate some other, some other thing that I was pretty good at. So I don't know if I would have ever really understood how to go through and, uh, and struggle and, uh, and emerge to be able to actually uh, recognize that I had the ability to, to grow. And part of that growth, to your point, is being uh, grateful for where you are, take each day as a gift, see how far you can go and, uh, and make it count. Everybody's got their bag of hammers. My situation is visible, but man, there's so many people suffering with these huge invisible challenges and, and suffering sometimes in silence. And, and so in reality, let's make the best of it and normalize it. And then know that we're not alone. You know, Rick, I always end my with my key takeaways. And I can't even begin to start because I love this chat so much. What strikes me the most, what I'll be thinking about for many years, is that this Rick Hansen, you know, good-looking, athletic, uh, loving life, loving his parents, loving fishing, age 15, your life changes. And for many, if not most... It would be for the worst. We would feel angry, frustrated, trapped, a prisoner for life, suffocated. You didn't ask for it. You didn't want it. But you've made it matter not only to you and Amanda and the people around you, but for so many. You truly are a hero. I thank you for, for the opportunity to reconnect with you after all these years and for joining me on Chatter That Matters. Well, thank you, Tony. And uh, yeah, let's just keep going, man. Uh, life continues every day, right?
Joining me in Chatter That Matters is Joel Demby. He's a retired five-time Canadian national wheelchair tennis champion. Represented our country at the London 2012 Paralympics, internationally ranked. Today, he's a coach, motivational speaker, uh, and he's involved with uh, RBC. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tony. Real privilege to be here. Tell me, what are you doing now with RBC? How did a tennis player end up with a bank? Well, I, I joined RBC as part of the RBC Olympians program. RBC has uh, been supporting uh, Olympic and Paralympic athletes since 1947. Had to figure out what I wanted to do after retiring like so many other athletes. And my aunt sent me uh, an ad for the Olympians program. I applied, got in, and here I am today still with the organization. So what do you do for for them. I'm part of the RBC corporate communications team, um, but I'm also co-chair of RBC Reach, which is our employee resource group for employees with disabilities. So I was talking to Rick Hansen earlier in the show, and we're talking about that one in seven, potentially heading to one in five Canadians have some form of disability. And when you and I were talking previously, you said, you know, mine's easy to see. I'm in a wheelchair, but a lot of other people are either disguise it or embarrassed by it. How do we change that? Well, I think it's it's understanding that disability isn't this thing that we need to make it out to be, like what we've all heard about special needs. We need to understand disability is actually more prevalent in society. You know, one of the things that, that I learned when I joined RBC, and this is coming out of the Paralympic scene, is that most of our colleagues actually had invisible disabilities. And so it's really understanding that person with a physical disability, you can see it. In terms of employees with invisible disabilities, we actually don't really need to ask. <laughs> it's about making platforms and services more accessible so that no matter what your abilities, we don't make it out to be this big issue. And yet, from an economic standpoint, we already know, Tony, that when we include more people with disabilities, companies just become more profitable. That's great. And Joel, what's next for you? Continue my career at RBC, but uh, continue my work in the advocacy space, not just with the Rick Hansen Foundation, which I'm I'm really lucky to be a part of, but to really um, ensure that Canada is accessible for all, whether it's through policy. Um, but I actually think corporations can play a big part in, in making these drastic changes to ensure you know, the experiences of employees with disabilities and clients are, are, are the same. We need, to, we need to make sure everyone's included. What's your advice for corporations? I think organizations, um, you know, need to understand that disability is, is, yes, it's diversity and inclusion. And I always say that diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. But when it comes to disability, disability is very unique. You know, we're often the square pegs in the round holes, quite honestly, Tony. Um, every person is unique in, in their uh, abilities. And I think when it comes to hiring talent, uh, when it comes to ensuring employees with disabilities have the same experiences as able-bodied, we need to ensure that buildings are accessible. We need to ensure platforms are accessible. We need to ensure that there's flexibility. Joel Danby, international uh, ranked tennis star, uh, representing Canada, representing RBC, and uh, looking forward to uh, following your continued success. Thanks for joining me in Chatter That Matters. Thanks, Tony. It's a place where dreams come true, and uh, and I think it's uh, a responsibility for all of us to do our part. And I think your best work's still in front, and you hope you can squeeze you know, the next chapter, another year or two, or hopefully 10 or 20. Every breath, man. It's, uh, it's joy. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.